Hello, Regeneration. Uh, we will be starting this letter of 3 John. And um, the letter John wrote in 2 John was addressed to the church. And this letter written in 3 John is a letter addressed to Gaius, an individual. But there is teaching here for, for us, the church. And namely, that teaching is walking in the truth, which is found in verses 3 and 4 and love and truth, which is found in verse 1. One of the proofs that the Word of God is making an impact in the life of the believer is that others can testify of your love. And so you can look at verse 6 for that, and it's truth and love. This is something we as Christians are constantly tested with, living a life committed to truth and to love, which is a really, really challenging thing to do well, and thank God that Jesus is the master of this, and, and we can lean on the Holy Spirit to, to guide us in living like this. A couple of the evidences of love is generosity and hospitality, and we can read of the church exercising these gifts of love in verse 8, that by extending generosity and extending hospitality, we act as supply lines of encouragement to others. Now, we don't blindly extend this generosity and hospitality because there are people that we don't want to encourage. We learned this last week from 2 John that we are not to extend this hospitality to false teachers, to deceivers, of the church because we don't want to encourage them, affirm them, approve of their false teachings and their deception. Take a look at 2 John verses 10 and 11. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. So we had warning to the church in 2 John about who not to exercise generosity and hospitality towards. And we have an encouragement to Gaius as to whom he as well as others in the church are to extend generosity and hospitality toward. Between these two letters, we're, we're given the boundaries, we're given the responsibilities of Christian generosity and hospitality. We're not infinite in what we can give. And there are occurrences of practicing generosity and hospitality that can actually be harmful to us. We have limits in our resources, time, energy, and we need to practice wisdom and discernment as to whom we give to, Second John. However, we have responsibility to others. We, we have uh, obligations, duties to others, even strangers to extend generosity and hospitality, and we are to exercise wisdom and discernment for these opportunities. This is 3 John, even if it's sacrificial. So you see the challenge that we face as Christians to discern upon these things. Our church supported an orphanage a school rescue center for children in Nakuru, Kenya for over a decade a number of years ago, and I was really blessed to visit Nakuru uh, several times, and, and I learned about their wisdom when extending generosity and hospitality. When a stranger walks into the village, it's very customary to offer that person tea, a meal, and if especially generous and especially hospitable, you would offer them a place to sleep for the night. 
Now, if the stranger is still there for the next meal, they didn't simply just hand them the plate or another cup of tea. What they did was they handed them a garden tool, whether that be a shovel, a hoe, a rake, or whatever it may be. They were going to put that person to work. That's Kenyan wisdom. And so this courteous guest would understand the difference between expecting hospitality and not taking advantage of people with limited resources, time, and energy. Within 2nd and 3rd John, we're, we're getting a glimpse of what the first century church had to practically and relationally deal with, which are things we need to deal with when exercising walking in the truth and loving in the truth. So let's take a look at verses 1 and 2 here. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Gaius was a very, very common name in the first century. It's a name like John or Michael for us today or for our church, Nathan. So if you ever forget someone's name at our church and that person is a guy, you can guess Nathan and you'll probably get their name right. It's really evident that John loved Gaius. Verse 1, he says, Beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. And then verse 2, Beloved. The, the love John had for Gaius was, was a personal one. He, he's using this personal pronoun, I, I love. Not just the type of love you throw out there to strangers. Gaius was named. And it's very normal to express your personal love to family, to friends, someone you know fairly well, but it would be really odd for me to text uh, love you to my daughter's skateboarding coach, right? Like, Taylor, see you at 4.45 tomorrow at the skate park. Love you. It, it's just really strange. Now, I've heard I love you from my mom, my wife, my kids, friends who are ladies, the ladies of my life. I, I didn't hear a male say I love you until I was an adult until I was 20 years old. The first man to tell me that they loved me was my Taekwondo grandmaster and I was at a belt promotion and he told everyone there while I was looking at him and he was looking at me, looking right into my eyes and he was like, I love you. Hundreds of people there and I was just totally caught off guard. I, I didn't even know what to respond with. I just kind of froze there. But the funny thing is, is I, I could have failed that promotion test that I trained years for, but I felt like such a winner that he told me that he loved me. And even when I was writing up this sermon, um, tears were coming down my eyes, just reliving that moment and, and being there again that day that I'll remember the rest of my life, the first time a father figure told me that they loved me. I think this is something important for us to understand, especially today in a time when we're isolated because of COVID, that we love the church and that we love individuals. There may be somebody who needs to hear that you love them. You've been investing into that friendship for a while now, and they're like Gaius to you and where you're like, they're John. 
it's, it's easier to say that you love regeneration or, you know, I love you, church. And, and it's easily proven, too, because of where you invest your resources, your tithe and offerings, where you volunteer, where you pour your energy and time. A little bit harder when it comes to individuals to tell them directly by name that you love them. And yet some of you are, are really, really good at that. But just imagine if each one of us listening to this message loved an individual, told them that we love them, invested into them, whether time, energy, resources, somebody other than your spouse, children, people in your household, but a Gaius, a beloved Gaius, and not just kind of this sentimental love, but a love grounded in truth. Love in truth. Love because Jesus is Lord. Love because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And we hope people get this. To extend their power to be able to share this love. And, and we love people in this domain of truth where we have a relationship with Jesus and with each other where we are brothers and sisters adopted into the same family bound by loyalty to Jesus Christ. What does love and truth even mean? The fellowship we have as Christians transcends all the obstructions that are before us whether that is race, gender, class, tribe, politics, whatever it may be, it's not to say that those things are insignificant, but it's not the core issue as to why John is writing to Gaius, whom he loves in truth. The truth in love is, is what binds the relationship between John and Gaius. It's not some other thing. And you'll read in verse 2 of John's prayer, for, for all to go well, for Gaius's health, and that things go well for Gaius's soul. We hope for things to go well and for people's health to be good all the time, don't we? It's just even part of our introductions, especially now during, during COVID, during these wildfires that are affecting people's health. You know, oftentimes I'll, I'll, I'll start a text this way and just be like, hello, Stephanie, I hope you're doing well and you're healthy or whoever it may be that that's kind of how you start the introduction and then you kind of continue the conversation from there. But the thing that sets us apart with loving in the truth is this all-important piece of praying. Praying and praying for the wellness of one's soul. More than just the well-wishing. The individuals that we extend love to, we pray for their well-being, we pray for their health, we pray for their soul we all realize that the better each individual does, the better those in need will be because we will be generous with more and hospitable with more. The healthier we are spiritually, physically, the more we'll be able to serve others. And sometimes people lean so much on the spiritual that we don't pray for the social, the emotional, the physical needs of people. And other times we lean towards the physical, the social, emotional needs of people and we don't pray for the spiritual. John's praying for 
all of it, for both, for, for Gaius holistically. And John is lifting the whole person in prayer. John wants the best for Gaius. Do we want the best for people? How are we praying for people? Do we want the best for people whom we don't even agree with? There's so much division in our world. And sometimes people are happy when that other side falls, when that other side makes a fool of themselves or when they fail. You know, and just speaking for myself, I, I'm happy too when evil is thwarted, but sometimes we're making people out to be evil when, there aren't, when they aren't evil. Take a look at Titus chapter 3, starting in verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division... After warning him once and then twice, having nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. As brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, what are we dividing over? Are we loving in truth? Ultimately, we all know that God's in control, and we already know how the story ends. The challenge is in the meantime, right now. How are we walking in the truth in love? Verses 3 and 4. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. This term here, brothers, meaning kin meaning siblings. How do we view one another? How do we care for one another, support each other? We already know that we're in this broken world, but we're in this together, in Christ, the truth. And as we testify the truth, there is reason to rejoice greatly. Testify, meaning we're living in the truth. It's, it's more than knowing the truth, that we're walking the truth. And this looks different for each one of us. Of course, there are similarities, but we're all called to different contexts of ministry. And the story we share, though, is, is the same of God's goodness, of God's grace to people. The sacrifices we experience to love people will be similar 
What is different is the context of where all of this takes place, where the testimonies will take place. We, we don't know who we are going to affect. I love listening to testimonies. And we'll be sharing several with you in, in mid-September after we record the testimonies of those being baptized on uh, September 12th. We'll, we'll listen to how God changed these people's lives, who, who God used in their lives, and, and we'll greatly rejoice with them. And when you listen to those testimonies, please keep in mind who it was that most greatly influenced them. I don't even know their testimonies, but I'm pretty confident that the most spiritually influential people in their lives are ordinary people, everyday people like you and me. It's most likely not going to be some well-known person whose name a bunch of people know. And you don't know how valuable you are. The most spiritually influential person during my high school years was my friend Peter. None of us knows Peter. Not even me anymore. Haven't spoken with Peter in decades. The most spiritually influential person in my life during my college years was this grandmother who was a housewife, Gail. And she invested a lot of her time into doing Bible study on our college campus and getting to know us college students. I was a complete stranger to her, but she, she met with me individually every week. She was one of those people that told me that she loved me. She invited those in our Bible study to her house for fellowship, for prayer, for worship, for Bible study. She invited us to her lake house and provided us food and fun, recreation. We never had to pay for a single thing. She was so generous. I, I never even got a chance to swim in a lake until I met Gail. Most influential person spiritually in my life during my young adult life was an Old Testament uh, professor that I never even took a class from because he was on sabbatical when I was uh, slated to take the level of classes for him. His name is Bruce. And he, he's the father of a, of a couple of friends of mine in college. And, and I just started a conversation with him because we were on the same mission trip in Mexico. And he's now been in my life for over 25 years. I bring up these people because they're ordinary people everyday people. And I don't think the story is all that different for all of you in terms of who has most spiritually influenced your life. Ordinary, everyday people who are part of our testimony in walking in the truth. You're that person for someone. You're that person to love in truth, to pray for, to have someone know that they are beloved in your eyes. To rejoice greatly with them. In this time of pandemic, injustice, division, natural disaster, brokenness, you're needed more than you even know. Everyday, ordinary people just living Ordinary lives with generosity 
and with hospitality in truth and in love. Verses 5 and 6, Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. John comments on what Gaius is doing with his resources and his energy and his time. It is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts. Whatever Gaius has been given in terms of resources, energy, time. He's using them to bless others. He's not keeping it all for himself. He's looking to use it for God's kingdom and to help others. I shared last week that we were looking to partner with other churches to help evacuees of the Santa Cruz fires. And I'm really not all that surprised by the generosity and hospitality of our church. People offered up hosting evacuees in their homes. We, we received gift cards to give to people. People volunteered themselves to serve, to transport things, to, to offer vehicles, to move things over. And it was so good to experience firsthand the faithful things you do in all your efforts. These are the signs Paul wrote of that indicate that you are a true Christian. Take a look at Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Every person's love and every person's hatred is visible. And strangers see love and hate around them. They, they observe these things. How will our love as Christians be reported by strangers? You look at verse 6 where, where strangers testified the love of Christians. What do strangers say about us? I have a few pastor friends and we've been going around our respective neighborhoods asking for help uh, for the Santa Cruz evacuees. And many of our neighbors know we're Christians. They know we're in ministry. And, and they're watching us. They watch what we do. They watch how we interact with our families. They watch how we interact with our community and neighbors. They're watching how we respond to people's pain and to people's needs. What's so neat is that we receive so many donations from our respective neighbors. That they recognize good. 
They recognize genuine love for strangers. And it's not simply what we say. We haven't said we love the people affected by the fires. We're, we're showing it. We're doing it. We love them with our deeds and our efforts. And I think the people in Santa Cruz who know that the Christian church has mobilized to care for them can say that the Christian church loves us. The Christian church cares for us. That that generosity and that hospitality are visible. Stephanie mentioned earlier of uh, Regeneration Scotts Valley, not affiliated with us, but they did ask to use the name. And the pastor there, his name is Matt. He's a good friend of mine. And they've used their church as an evacuation site. And they have over 60 people staying there right now. And people from his church have been feeding those evacuees and providing for all of their needs. And he's just been sharing with me how great it is to see that the church is mobilized to love. That Christian love that transcends disagreements, disappointments, dissonance, which all families experience. All families argue. All of them misunderstand, misinterpret, miscommunicate. But love understands we don't always get along. There may be some things that we disagree on, but we are brothers and sisters. And, and there are times to rally and exercise and practice generosity and hospitality. Not just towards people that we know, but to strangers also. Verse 5. It's not all that unusual to take care of your own family. More unusual to take care of a stranger and even more unusual to take care of an enemy but we love for Christ's sake. We love those who disagree with us, who disappoint us, who argue with us. We don't extend this generosity and this hospitality to those who deceive others away from Christ. Those are really dangerous people to the body of Christ. But we do extend love, generosity, hospitality to those we don't see eye to eye with, even if it's politically or socially or in other ways, that people can be on different sides politically and still love Jesus. Gaius took strangers in and he, he loved them. He was generous with them and showed them hospitality. Jesus said in Matthew 25, starting in verse 35, For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. How do we treat people? Especially our brothers and sisters who we disagree with. Take a look at that last sentence in verse 6. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Notice that that generosity and that hospitality, it, it's ongoing. 
It's not just for that moment that you can tolerate being in the same room and then when they're gone, you're just thinking like, man, it's about time that they left. No, we're, we're brothers and sisters that we may disagree on some things, but we all bear the good news of Jesus Christ. We need each other. We already have this enemy in the world, the evil one who is more crafty and is already more than we can handle on our own. We, we need each other. Again, I'm not talking about deceivers who are false teachers. That's something totally separate. I'm talking about brothers and sisters in Christ who disagree on things. We, we need each other. Verses 7 and 8. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Fellow workers for the truth. We're in this together. We won't agree on everything. We don't. We're not this homogeneous group that sees everything the same way. But we are fellow workers for the truth. We are all different people. We listen to different podcasts. We read different books. We like different music. We all grew up differently. We're all from different classes and races and cultural backgrounds. All this stuff. All these differences. Yet we still need to collaborate for the cause of Christ. And experience the wonder together of God's salvation. We are called as God's children, to be united under truth, fellow workers, not just onlookers, people just watching. We are to participate, participants, people doing, putting forth effort for the sake of the name. Verse 7, you notice this, for they have gone out for the sake of the name. They are doing something, not for their own name, but for the name of Jesus Christ. How are we helping others share the truth? How is a Christian on the left going to help share the truth of the gospel to an unbeliever on the right? Maybe they can't. Maybe that's not going to work out so well. But the thing you can do is you can team up with a Christian on the right to share the truth of the gospel to the unbeliever on the right. And that might work better. You see, we, we need each other to empower one another to, to reach people outside of our spheres of influence. We need to invest in others who can reach places that you and I can't get to with the same truth to share about. We ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Even if we don't agree and we don't see eye to eye on everything, but if the message of the gospel is there, we're on the same team. We can't minister to all people effectively, but we can support people who have the same truth to reach people that we can't. Not everyone is going to be called to be a preacher or a missionary or a relief worker or whatever other calling there is, but we can all support the work of what those people are doing in truth, what they're called to. We can collaborate in sharing the truth. There are people on the ground in Santa Cruz County, San Mateo counties that are ministering to those affected by the fires. We're not there. But we are supporting what's going on. And we 
pray people come to know the truth and to walk in the truth. We're all participating in something greater. And we don't have to be some all-star to get involved. God more than often, uh, more often than not, he uses ordinary people, everyday people like Gaius, like you, to make a huge spiritual impact through generosity, hospitality in the lives of others, strangers. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I do lift up those affected by the fires to you. We lift up those who have lost their homes. We lift up those who have lost property that is of infinite value to them, whether they are pictures or things that stir up memories for them. Lord, would you please comfort them? We ask, Lord, that they would get reprieved soon. Lord, we ask that you would continue to mobilize the church to share what we have, to be generous, to be hospitable. Lord, thank you for showing us Gaius, an ordinary, everyday person, that we can be this way, that you use ordinary people for extraordinary things. Lord, would you bless every effort that is made by people to transcend division, to break through the disagreements and the division, that we would be peacemakers, that we would be people who bring comfort and hope to others, that we live in truth, that we walk in truth, and may we never forget the love peace, that that needs to be part of it. God, we thank you for our church. Thank you for the generosity of people here. Thank you for the hospitality of people here. Even the simple offering of a home with a pool for these people getting baptized, just another sign of generosity and hospitality within your church to complete strangers. They don't know who is getting baptized. May we live in accordance to your word in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your uh, communion elements, let's take those out now and partake in that together. The cracker, the bread symbolizing the broken body of Christ. With all the brokenness in our world, we do know that the body of Christ, even though a symbol that is broken, is what can heal. And we await the return of Christ. We take this in remembrance of that. And the fruit of the vine, symbolizing the blood of Christ, his sacrifice for us to bring us peace, to share that peace with others. We take this in remembrance of what Christ has done and in remembrance of his promise to return. Lord Jesus, 
please make your church ready for your return. May we live honorably with integrity, modeling for the world what you've called us to. In Jesus' name.